Hello and welcome to episode 100 of the Korean Ninja podcast. Holy moly, we made it. We made it. Uh, 100 episodes. That is a lot of hope right there. Now, if this is the first time you're listening, these are health transformation stories from people who have adopted a low-fat, whole food, plant-based diet, including expert interviews with doctors such as Dr. Neil Barner, Dr. Corbel Esselstyn, Dr. Michael Clapper, Dr. Joel Kahn, Drs. Dean and Aisha Scherzai, Dr. Malcolm Mackay, Dr. Anthony Hodge, and many other doctors and other experts such as nutritionists Natalie Woodman and Robin Shooter. There are so many incredible hope stories on this podcast. Now there's 100 as of today. I first started this podcast because I wanted more people to know that it's not just me who has overcome multiple sclerosis with a whole food plant-based diet. It's not just a one-off random friend of a friend who has done this. It is so many people around the world who are doing this every day, who have done this, who continue to do this, who continue to eat a whole food plant-based diet to help prevent and reverse chronic disease. <sighs> it overwhelms me that we've reached this milestone and I know there's many podcasts with many, many more episodes out there, but 100 episodes was always a goal of mine to reach that and I want, obviously I want to reach, if you've been listening for a while, you know I want to keep going, I want to go until there's there's just so many because the more there are, the more when our family members and our and everyone that we know around our work lunch table who are sceptical, the more we have in our tool belt, the more stories we have in our tool belt, the more armour we have on to face those sceptics and those critics and the, and, the, and the more hope we have to in the, in, in, in belief in this and knowledge in this diet and this lifestyle, the easier it is to live in a non-vegan, non-whole food, plant-based world for us as individuals. But the more inspiration and motivation and draw there is to this lifestyle for those who are sceptical or on the fence or who are non-believers, you know, there. There are a hundred stories and there, there are a hundred more. There are thousands more. You know, this, I haven't, this is the tip of the iceberg. There are so many more out there. And that is encouraging for people who are, are saying they're so confused about diet that they don't know what, what to eat, what the right diet is for them. It's a whole food plant-based diet. The, the jury's in. They're back. It's a whole food plant-based diet. It's a low-fat whole food plant-based diet. That is the optimal diet for human health. There are a hundred stories. There, there aren't a hundred stories of people overcoming health problems with a paleo diet and it being sustainable long-term. There's no reversing heart disease, cancer, all of these diseases on a ketogenic diet. That just doesn't exist. This is the optimal diet for, for, for human health. And the more stories there are, the more that is just... 
it just takes the confusion out of it for all of our friends, our family, and for ourselves if you're listening and you're like, oh, but what if? There's no but what if. There's no but what if, unfortunately. This is it. This is the way forward. This is the future of, of healthcare and disease prevention for humanity. So, yeah, I'm just very, very, very passionate and I love that there's 100 episodes now for 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 us all, it has been such a wonderful, beautiful journey. I have felt so honoured to sh- to hear all, to meet and hear all these stories from the amazing guests that have come on this show. I could sit here and list them all. In fact, I did list them all, and my husband Ranjit made me re-record. I listed so many because I love all of you, all of you, the guests that are coming on the show. If you're listening, I love all of you all have such an incredibly big piece of my heart. And my heart just continues to grow with every new guest that comes on this show who has sharing the darkest moments in their lives. These are the worst moments in people's lives. They're coming on, they're coming on this show. They're trusting me with their story and they're being vulnerable, they're sharing the darkest moments of their lives, their worst days, those moments when you think that there's no hope. And then they are sharing how their lives have transformed and they've become athletes and passionate health coaches and speakers and nutritionists and, and so many other wonderful things that have come out of the darkest moments in these people's lives. They are all an inspiration to me and they're all an inspiration to the people in their communities and in the work that they're doing to spread the whole food plant-based message. I, I love you all. Thank you all so much for coming on this show and sharing your stories. So we have shared so much. We have had stories from people with heart disease, multiple sclerosis, type 2 diabetes, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, asthma, several forms of cancer, food addiction, migraine, polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, psoriasis, and so many more. Go back. We've got ankylizing spondylitis, interstitial cystitis, menopausal symptoms, many, many, many stories of prediabetes, fatty liver disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, it's all there. Go back, have a listen. If you haven't listened, go back and have a listen. Go back. If Even if you think, oh, just knowing, just hearing me say that is enough, it's not enough. When you listen to their stories, it will deepen your conviction and your dedication to a whole food plant-based diet in a way that just hearing me mention that it helps with all those conditions. Listening is going to deepen your commitment and connection to it so much more. Just hearing their voices, hearing their stories and their suffering and then their transformation. It is so inspirational. And yeah, uh, I I can't do their stories justice, these people's stories justice. Only they can. So if you haven't listened, scroll back, you know, take a week off work (laughs) and have a listen. No, didn't have to do that. But I mean, there are powerful stories to to listen to for yourself and to share with your family and friends. And thank you, every single guest, every single person for taking that time to speak with me and sitting down and sharing your stories because your stories are touching other people and changing their lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now, off that topic for a moment and on to today's guest the 100th guest for the podcast. I was lucky enough 
to speak with Dr. Joel Furman. Dr. Joel Furman is an American doctor and author of many, many books, including Eat to Live, which I I loved reading, Super Immunity, The End of Dieting, The End of Diabetes, The End of Heart Disease, and Fast Food Genocide, just to name a few. You can find him and his work and his programs and all those things at Dr. Furman, D-R-F-U-H-R-M-A-N.com. And he has so many wonderful things to talk to us about today on today's episode. But before we dive in, three small things very quickly. Number one is on Sunday, the 28th at 12 p.m., if you love this podcast or you just want to eat with whole food plant-based people or meet up with a whole food plant-based people and you want to also give me double high fives for my 100th episode, I will be at Grant's Picnic Ground in Callista, July 28th, Sunday, 12pm, Grant's Picnic Ground in Victoria in the great, beautiful Dandenong Ranges where I live. I will be sharing some food with whoever wants to make it along, 12 p.m., Grant's Picnic Ground, July 28th. We are going to eat some delicious plant, whole food, plant-based food. No oil. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to make the choc chip cookies from the Engine 2 cookbook because they're my favourite. I'm also going to be making something else delicious probably involving potatoes because they're my favorite things so if you're free july 28th 12 p.m grant's picnic ground they feed cockatoos there and king parrots where we might go for a little bushwalk just a little stroll and eat and talk and just hug it out hug 100 episodes out so yeah i'd love to see you there it's it's free it's just hanging out with me yeah I just wanted to hang out with some passionate, like-minded people for my 100th episode celebration. So I'd love to see you there. Okay. The other thing I wanted to say is thank you again for, for all tuning in for this 100th episode of the podcast. And coming up from now, episode 101, there'll be a few small changes Mostly just I'm going to be making the logo a bit slightly different so people so it's a bit more obvious what this podcast is about. And I'm going to change the music. Uh, many of you have noticed and commented that this music is also being used by McDonald's to promote their Angus burger or something completely un-whole food plant-based. And I'm finally... I. I, I'm wanting, I'm wanting, I'm just wanting for my own personal desire to change the music and maybe reduce it and change it so it's less, I don't know what it's going to be like. Rinjit might make us some, something amazing, or we might find something amazing to have as the music. But that's probably the only changes I'm going to be making is the logo and the music. But then from next week, there will be new music on the episode and a new logo Thanks to Ranjit and thank you also to the support of Katrina Fox and Vegan Business Media. I had a call with her and she really helped me and she is the motivation for the logo 
update. So thank you, Katrina Fox, and anyone who is in a vegan business and you need some extra support in getting your message out there, I highly recommend having a one-on-one coaching call with Katrina Fox. And you can do that by going to veganbusinessmedia.com. Thank you, Katrina, for your support. If you haven't yet subscribed, I put out new episodes every week on Monday slash Tuesday. If you're in America, I think it's Sunday slash Monday. We are in the future here, as many of you know. (laughs) There are new episodes every Monday slash Tuesday where people share their incredible stories of recovery from chronic diseases after adopting a whole food plant-based diet. If you'd like to support me in getting the message out to the world, please leave a five-star rating and a kind review over at iTunes or at your preferred platform for listening to podcasts. You can also support the podcast over at Patreon by signing up to becoming a monthly paying supporter, which is for as little as $5 a month. And you won't notice it. Just have one less latte and it won't, you won't notice it. But you'll be supporting this podcast, surviving and staying around to get to our 200th episode, which is my deepest hope. And I'll provide the link to that Patreon, to Patreon in the show notes. So you can check out all the details for yourself and discover more about how your support can help this podcast to reach more people and spread the whole food plant-based message to the world. Thank you to Brooke Mandria. Thank you so much, Brooke, for becoming a paid Patreon supporter last week and member of the Corinne Ninja podcast community. Thank you for joining me and supporting this podcast. I was so happy to see your name there and I hope you got my message over at Patreon saying saying thank you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all of your support, Patreon supporter or non-Patreon supporter. Every time you share this podcast or tag someone in this episode or you like it or comment it or comment on these posts or whatever on social media, you are helping this podcast to reach more people and that means the world to me. So thank you all. One last thing before we get to Dr. Joel Furman, my 28 Days Vegan program starts August 1st. So if you or someone you love would like to try out a whole food plant-based diet with my support for 28 days, grab your ticket over in the show notes. The link will be there where you'll find all the details of the challenge, what you get, what's involved, and you get to chat with me once you sign up for an hour and a half and well overall and many times during the 28 days and you get to message me and hang out in my members only group where you also get a lifetime membership you get to stay in there forever for every different incarnation of the 28 days vegan program that's going to happen in the future so yeah join me over there the link is in the show note 28 days vegan starts august 1st be there or be square Okay, without further ado, here is Dr. Joel Furman for episode 100. Thank you and enjoy the show. Okay, well, hello and welcome to the show, Dr. Furman. Great to be here. Happy to be on your show at your 100th anniversary. That's incredible. I know. It's so exciting. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm clapping. Not <laughs> an audio-only podcast, but... Um, Thank you for being my 100th guest. Oh, is this audio only? Yes. Oh, so I didn't even have to shave. You didn't even have to shave. I know, I'm wearing a blanket. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm very honoured to have you here. And for people who, I've obviously given a little bit of an introduction at the start, but for people who don't, maybe don't know you or this is the first time they've heard of you, 
could you give us a bit of an explanation about how you found a whole food plant-based diet? Because I'm fairly aware that there's not much nutrition training at med school. So how did you come across this this way of eating? Well, you know, when I was a child, my father was overweight and sickly, and he started reading the works of Herbert Shelton in the natural hygiene movement. And I started reading all of Shelton's works in the 1950s and the 1960s. I was born in 53, so I'm 65. You look incredible, FYI. For 65? Is 65? Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. You can't see him, but he doesn't look 65. They can't see me anyway, so you're faking them out. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Just go do a Google. He doesn't look 65. Here, I'll show, since they can't see me, I'll show them my six pack. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, Herbert Shelton. Right. So, I was, I I got into healthy eating and healthy living in my teenage years. And then when I got older, I was, I was on the world figure skating team. I was third in the world in pairs figure skating in the early 1970s. And I was eating healthy just to be a better athlete, not getting sick, you know, watching our diet, stuff like that. I was a pair skater with my sister. We competed all over the world, not in Australia though. So not all over the world. <laughs> I competed against people who came from Australia. Wow. Though, and, but, but anyway, so. Third in the world, very impressive. Thank you. So yeah, so I was really, and then I got hurt. I was on crutches for almost a year. It kind of derailed my Olympic, um, my Olympic perform- ability to be in the 1976 Olympics because I was injured then. Um, and then I started to go into my family's shoe business, but I was so passionate about nutrition that I knew that people were eating themselves to death and that food was the answer to what ailed our nation's healthcare crisis back then. I understood that. I was a big part of that. It was my hobby. And I met when I was starting to pursue dabbling in some medical, because I graduated from college as an economics and business major. And I started to dabble in some courses to think I might want to go back to medical school. And then I started dating a woman who, um, who was going to go to medical school. And I told her what the hell doctors are, don't, are poisoning people with drugs and all this stuff. And she kind of said, well, why don't you quit your father's business and stop dabbling and just, if you're so passionate about that, why don't you go to medical school and, and, um, and do it full, you know, and go full time and just do it, get it over with. And don't, you know, don't, you're, I was already like 26 or years old or something, you know, so, so she encouraged, so I, I kind of rethought what I was doing with my life. And eventually I married that woman. Um, so, so I did go, so I dropped it. So I dropped my father's business and I dropped Dab, you know, taking some courses maybe at night, and I went back full time to the postgraduate pre med program at Columbia, and I applied and got, and I went to medical school at University of Pennsylvania with a specific intent of being a physician that specializes in nutrition. I didn't uh, learn about this through medical school or after medical school. I went to medical school with the purpose of becoming a different style of doctor. Yes, and how did you find it when you got there? Because the the imagined being a doctor and the reality of going to med school, I imagine, I imagine is very different, vastly different. Yes, but um, I was, um, I liked medical school. 
I liked the learning. It was a lot of you know science. I loved the science courses. I had great teachers. I met a lot of great friends there. I influenced the, my other students to be into, to get into nutrition. They made me chairperson of the nutritional education department at the school, and they made me um they was on the school admissions committee. I I kind of enjoyed my time at medical school. I liked like I was teaching other young physicians. I was the person like spreading this knowledge even in the medical school. So I mean I, I enjoyed and I enjoyed it and I um. I didn't find a conflict, and I liked debating and talking to doctors who didn't know about nutrition. And they, after they would talk to me a while, they would eventually say things like, yeah, it sounds right, and I guess you're right, but nobody's going to – you're not going to get a lot of people to do that, and you're not going to really make a lot of money that way, but I'm not going to do it, but it's probably the best thing for the person involved anyway. They'd always – you know what I mean? So some kind of argument like that. They could never argue with the with the idea that it's better to people eat this way. You know what I mean? Um, but – so yeah, but I I, um, I didn't find it so contradictory. I just find that doctors do not practice in a manner that's consistent with human biology and with and with what the Hippocratic Oath is, which is primary remove cause and do no harm. And I think that the way I practice um, medicine is more consistent with what doctors should be practicing. It's not alternative medicine. It's not. Um, it's it's um, progressive medicine. It's correct medicine. It's the way healthcare <laughs> should be practiced. Absolutely. You follow me? Yes. And I have many of my fellow classmates in medical school um, at alumni meetings come up to me and tell me you changed my outlook on the one on healthcare. You've affected me personally and my career. I've mentored a tremendous number of physicians and people who've been affected have their medical careers affected and their own personal health affected because i have been involved um, i've been a, either a friend or a contact or a or an influence on their life and so how backtracking with your father how is his health going during all this time well he was really sickly and was like exposed to chem you know he really um had a rough life, but he did better when he changed his health around. He was used to be not able to sit up even, and, and he had so much pain in his body. So he did a lot better. He's not alive today, obviously, and he's you know he didn't live that long. But he did. I mean, he lived long comparatively to the average American, but he didn't live as long as he should have lived if he had got this earlier in his life. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So medical school. You went to medical school and you finished, and and then what happened from there? What, what kind of because I, I feel like as a um, nutrition, it just seems so, even today in 2019, in Australia especially, I know in America you've got so many more doctors who are on board with this and who are pioneers of this movement, such as yourself. But how is it going forward as a practicing doctor when your focus is on healing, basically on, as you say, on practicing the correct medicine, progressive medicine such as this? Was it difficult or easy? I, I found my career incredibly rewarding and incredibly satisfying and passionate. And there's nothing more thrilling than watching a person reverse their disease, getting well from MS, getting rid of their psoriasis, having a person with on, um, on a national renal transplant list waiting for a new kidney because their lupus destroyed her kidney, and getting this person healthy again and their kidney back to normal again, having a person with chest pain and heart disease get well again, having a person with diabetes become non-diabetic, having people with asthma not have to use inhalers anymore, and having people with rheumatoid arthritis get totally cured and off their dangerous drugs, Every person I see is a celebration, is an opportunity for excitement. I just had a person, 
I've been in practice 30 years, and I just had a person who got rid of her rheumatoid arthritis, right? She was on Enbrel and Methotrexate for, for 15 years. She came to me in December, and she was getting doing so well, we took her off her Enbrel over a period of like a month and a half, a little bit, and I kept stretching it out. Two months she was off, it's still on the Methotrexate. Three more months went by, we started weaning that down. And then I, you know, as I got her to the end, I put her on a few, some days of fasting to help her not flare up again to keep her inflammation really down. And she, make a long story short, totally cured of her rheumatoid arthritis, no medication. She's set free on a trajectory for the rest of her life, never having to be medical cripple and being having, having these dangerous chemotherapeutic agents that cause cancer in her body every day. And it's still after 30 years of doing this, this is thrilling to me. Because I, I know that if she, any other doctor would not have got her better. There's no way she could have got better if she wasn't under my care. And, she, and so that's so exciting that, I'm, um, that, you know, that my life is, um, is contributing to these people's life. And it doesn't matter if you affect 10 people, 100 people, or 10,000 people. The fact that you're changing people's lives is a dramatic reason, reason why people get into become doctors to begin with. And most doctors aren't satisfied with their career. They're burnt out. They're disappointed and they're discouraged because they see people getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And they're just writing prescriptions. They don't know there's a better way. And this makes your career so much fun, exciting. And why I went into this. That's why I became a doctor, because I wanted to see people get well and to, have, and to transform their lives in that way. Absolutely. I love to hear that. And I think that it's, it seems to me that you wouldn't get into medicine if you didn't, because it's a hard, hard degree. It's a hard course. It, it feels to me like you wouldn't get into it unless you had the innate desire to help people get well. And yet, there's so few doctors that that consider medica- like consider nutrition as a viable solution to chronic disease. So I, I am always so excited when I meet doctors like yourself who are focusing on the root cause because I know when I got MS myself I was just thinking why would my healthy body get this condition at t- age 24 when I was born without multiple sclerosis and my body wasn't attacking the myelin sheath around my nerve around my nerves in my brain and spinal cord why would it start doing that but most people don't look for the why they just look for the right band-aid for putting on top of the why <laughs> And also, you know, they, they, they have faith in their physicians and they hold physicians in high esteem and they're, and they don't really look for the other way often. But, um, you know, I've been, um, instrumental in also, you know, trying to get research out and publish and promote and speak publicly and and share with the world that people don't have to be suffering, be sick with these issues that and multiple sclerosis, psoriasis, lupus, that these that the that nutrition is very effective. I think more and more people are recognizing that we have a cancer epidemic due to the junk we're putting in our body and we and heart attacks and strokes are caused by what we're eating, but it's taking longer for people to admit and to understand that mental illness is caused by what we're eating, predominantly. And we and a hundred years ago it was one in a hundred Americans who were mentally ill, and now it's one in five Americans who are mentally ill. We have more people being crazy. And then it's hard for people to understand that autoimmune conditions like MS and rheumatoid arthritis and lupus can be not only are they nutritionally related and everything has a genetic component, but of course the, the, the nutrition is so powerful, it can suppress genetic defects and genetic alterations and it can repair things that even, so it's more powerful than the genetic predispositions. The point is, is that it's taking longer for our public to understand that these diseases are reversible. 
and they're primarily we do the nutritional ignorance as well. And nutritional excellence is so powerful and so therapeutically effective to enable people to get well. And the other issue we have fighting us is not only the millions of billions of dollars by the drug industry and the food industry, but also fighting us is that food is so addicting that people don't want to give up their love affair with these dangerous foods. So it's a, so it's, there's a lot of reasons that impede the progress of this message. But when people do switch to this way of eating, they find that their taste buds change. They learn these fantastic recipes. They can learn to enjoy eating this way as much as their old diet. And it's worth it because they get so healthy. Some people will say, you know, um, I, if I have to eat that way, I'd rather be dead. Just shoot me right now then, I'm not, you know, because they don't understand that their taste buds are shaped by what they ate and deadened by what they eat. And because they don't like vegetables doesn't mean we can't make them in delicious ways and doesn't mean their taste buds can't improve their health and their ability to, to like this diet. And most of the people that I treat that have been this doing this for years have such a collection of incredible recipes and have strengthened their taste. They love eating this way and they find it the most tasty and enjoyable way to eat as well as it being so helpful for their health. Absolutely. I wanted to touch t to touch on what you were talking about with mental health, with, with mental illness. And we've had a few guests on the show with... Um, with mental health problems. And from, from me, my anxiety and depression. Now, I still do get anxious at times because I'm just a bit of a heightened being as well. But a lot of people, myself included, I was on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication for a, probably about almost, well, probably around 10 years of my adolescence and adult early 20s. Can you talk a bit about how diet impacts on mental health? Well, that's a complicated question. First of all, um, we know that the a healthy diet is rich in antioxidants and phytochemicals that have anti-inflammatory effects on the whole body, but particularly the brain. The brain is a high utilizer of energy. At rest, it uses 80% of your energy needs to be utilized by the brain. And, when you, and it's a high production of reactive oxygen species and free radicals that have to be burned off by, by phytochemicals and exposure to high nutrient plant foods. And with, when you eat a diet of mostly animal products and processed carbohydrates and processed foods, and your diet is not largely colorful plants, you're going to be, you're going to have a low level of these antioxidants. They're going to lead to excessive aging of the brain, loss of creativity, reduction of intelligence potential, and propensity for depression as well. And then you have, um, you know, that. There's another reason why a vegan or a person on a plant-based diet could become depressed is because we have different genetic abilities to convert ALA, alpha-linolenic acid and omega-3 fatty acid, into EPA and then DHA. And some vegans can have low levels of DHA, increasing their propensity for postpartum depression or especially, you know, or depression in general, and, and due to the lack of proper fatty acid distribution and balance in their body. So there's... So it, it, it's nutritional, it's fatty acids, it's brain injury, it's a, there's a lot of things going on. Even even exposure to certain metabolic toxins can negatively have negatively affect our brain, you know. Um, and there are other nutrients that are beneficial for the brain, even in mushrooms, even in berries. There's you know so and these nutrients like ergotheanine in mushrooms actually goes into the blood-brain barrier and have beneficial effects on brain function. So we're talking here about the right type of nutrients, the right type of food can be very effective in people who are, have a propensity for depression and anxiety. And even, you know, so um, 
So yes, I have a lot of people that I've treated and helped with that condition. Of course, there are always some that are so resistant and if the brains are so been on medication for so long and their serotonin is just messed up, not messed up, but it's so depressed from being dependent on medications for that, that they maybe have to be on medications for it. They can't get totally well, but each person is different. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, now, I wanted to talk about your your career now as far as you've written several books. I don't, I'm not actually sure how many books. I don't have that list right in front of me. I've written 12 books. 12 books, six of which have become New York Times bestsellers. I've just finished my last book, and I sent it off to the publisher. It's being final edits are going on. It's going to be published probably not till January of, of 2020. Um, but I'm thinking that's going to be my last. That's going to be my very last book ever, because I've been writing. You know, I've been writing books off so many. I've, I've been writing so many books lately. I'm willing. I'm, I want to have a little more balance with exercise and family time. So, I'm gonna, so I've, I think I've written my last book for now. But I have a great book coming out. But my last book that just came out about six months ago is called Fast Food Genocide. And that book, Fast Food Genocide, is such an interesting read. It's so fascinating for people to understand the history of the movement and how 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 food is destructive to the brain and how it creates violence and anger and 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 mental illness it's all in that book and how the so and then my book before that um the end of heart disease but the book i utilize the most right now probably in my recommendations for people is the book called the end of dieting because that just generally deals with the basics of why people can't lose weight why they jump from one yo-yo diet to another why they're not successful keeping their weight down for the rest of their life and how to get rid of food addictions, emotional overeating, and how to prefer to eat the right amount of food. And so it really goes through a lot of um, it, the, the base, the information people have to have to keep the, their weight favorable and to keep it off for the rest of their life because weight loss and achieving an ideal weight is of no benefit at all if the weight you lose is only temporary. It's only a benefit if you keep it off forever. And that means any dietary change you make to lose weight has to be maintained for the rest of your life. And any dietary change you make to lose weight should be, an, should be making your diet an anti-cancer diet so you can protect yourself against cancer and dementia. And the nutritarian diet that I've designed and recommend includes a full portfolio of the full of the foods that have the most anti-cancer effects that when put together in a synergistic way in the diet, enable the body to disease-proof itself against to broken DNA cross-links and methylation defects and toxic conge and cellular congestion that leads to cancer. So this really is a, an anti-cancer program that's the healthiest way to lose weight. And it's, you can't describe it by saying it's whole food plant-based or something like that, because it's not specific enough to, to describe the nuances of what makes the nutritarian diet so dialed in to be maximally lifespan promoted. Wow. So because I have I've I've only read, I'm honest, hands up. <laughs> I've only read one of your books and that is now escaping me on my brain. I, eat I, to live? Yes, eat to live. I've only read Eat to Live. Eat to it's a popular book. That's my that's the book that sold millions of copies, my number one bestseller. Very pop. And, you know, Eat to Live was first written in 2004 and revised in 2011. It's a great must read book. However, it's not what I really recommend people read today. And the reason for that is 
It's too permissive in that after the strict six weeks plan is over, it allows people to dabble with 10% of foods that I don't normally recommend. And very, and often, or sometimes, the dabbling in those foods that are not recommended can take this person with an addictive relationship with food and drive them right back into addictive overeating again. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I do because I am someone who has lived with food addiction and I didn't realize I had it until I did this podcast and I was interviewing people with food addiction. I was like, oh, gosh, oh my goodness, I have that. So, yes, are you talking about the animal proteins and fats that are in the book? Well, I'm saying that in the book it says to people, you know, after they drop this for six weeks, eat as healthy as you can, but 10% doesn't have to be so careful. You can have a certain amount of calories each day that can be from bagel, a cookie, an animal product, an oil. It's letting you have some leeway with some calorie percent that isn't part of a healthy food. And for some people, whether it's a bagel or whether it's a piece of cheese, whatever it is, it can, it can, it, you know what it does? It has the potential to drive to, when you, when you don't have your full two feet in the same plan, it keeps you in chronic stress. It keeps you chronic decision-making, being in both worlds, and you're always pulled into the unhealthy world and always fighting against it. I'm, I get so much more consistency in the result when I don't give people that option nowadays to keep them more strictly on a program that doesn't give them that leeway to cheat. You know what I'm saying? So I don't cheat. I don't have that 10% of cheating myself. Why do I? So what I'm saying to you right now is that Eat to Live is a great book and it's, worked, and it's moved to thousands and thousands, millions of people in the right and the better direction than to eat healthy, super eating healthy, and to eating super healthfully. But I feel that there's just a, it's, there's some flaws in it that I prefer to fix in my later books. Okay. So people, if you're listening, I think you should definitely check out The End of Dieting. But I actually am fascinated to hear about this fast food genocide because you're talking about the anxiety and anger did you say anger that that our diet gives us i think you just mentioned that and i was just interested in just even for a moment if you could touch on that because i have my own thoughts on it and i would love to hear yours well the data is really shockingly surprising first of all yeah um the studies show that even two servings a week of fast food or commercial baked goods like croissants and bagels and white bread and by the way, when you're eating croissants and bagels and pizza and white bread and hamburger rolls, it's the same as eating a marshmallow or candy. It's broken down to sugar. There's no, it comes in the bloodstream rapidly and it's destructive to your brain. The high rush of sugar into the bloodstream is destructive to your brain. And diabetics have more depression. But what I'm saying right now is the studies, it was a study coming out of the UK showing that even two servings a week of commercial baked goods or fast food doubles a person's lifetime risk of developing depression. Just two servings a week. Furthermore, and, and it goes up from there in a dose-dependent manner. These things really destroy brain cells. And when a person becomes demented at age 70 or 80, they're not going back and looking at all the white bread and pizza and bagels they ate. Who's thinking that bagels and pizza and bread cause dementia? But it does. It's destructive to your brain. You know, okay, then there's a lot of data to show they're eating commercial baked goods and fast food, but particularly candy in childhood is linked to criminality and being, being, um, being, having criminal behavior or being, going to prison. There's a link between candy consumption in childhood and the pr- probability of develop, being arrested for a violent criminal event by the time you're 39 years old. 
Seriously? Oh, yeah. Tremendously. We are what we eat. And, you know, and this idea that, how should I say that, you know, it's different in each country, but there's a lot of bigotry in this in America today. And the bigotry has a lot to do with the foundational factors about around food. Because when we're blaming peoples of different skin tone about different, you know, ability to get cancer or risk of a disease or propensity for education or, or how much scholastic ability they achieved, it's all about exposure to food, not about the color of your skin. It's all about when you give, when you don't have good food exposure, exposure to fruits and vegetables in childhood, you're taking away a person's propensity to maximize their intelligence and their health and their health outcomes. And we show the same thing, no matter what the color of your skin, if you have the same bad food environment, you have the same unhealthy outcomes. And this is what I talk about in fast food genocide. We talk about the history from after the Civil War, how when black Americans were first freed after the Civil War, they were eating more vegetables and they had a, more centenarians, more long-lived people in the black American population than the white Caucasian Southerners because they were eating more vegetables. And it was only after the Jim Crow laws and the explosion of pellagra, which causes rednecks and, you know, which causes homicidal and suicidal and violent outlook on life due to niacin deficiency, doing the corn and molasses and, and pork diet and bacon diet they were eating back then. And what I'm saying is that for 60 years, the American scientific community and physicians denied that pellagra and violence and all this stuff was the nutritional issue. They thought it was genetic defects, and it, and it grew forth this idea of the white superior, um, what is it called, the, um, you know, the, the thing that Hitler picked up in, the, in, in Germany, where they had the, um, where they started to start, it came, that, that stuff that Hitler picked up with the white supremacy movement started from in America. You know, it started from the whites here that started that movement, and then they moved, then it hit, picked it up there, and it still continued. And we had this violence against blacks driving to northern cities. So I, I go back into the book, going through the history and how nutrition played a big role back then in this, and how we don't learn from history because we're still doing the same thing today about how about how food and how processed foods and how the lack of exposure to vegetables and beans and mushrooms and these nutrients that humans are dependent on affects our ability to think normally, to be kind and considerate and creative and intelligent. Wow, that is a lot. That is a lot, but it's fascinating. And I can't wait to read that book, actually. I'm going to order it today. So that was called Fast Food Genocide. And wow, I'm really, really fascinated to look at that. Especially with all of what you're saying, because we do talk about, and we have our indigenous people, our indigenous people here, and they have a much shorter lifespan as well. And and you, it does feel like because of that, we there is this where physically, biologically stronger and more superior to our indigenous people, but they're eating our crap diet that we bought in here and, and they've got no money and they're eating just Coke and candy and chips and whatever. And then we're like, why are they, you know, why do they have diabetes and pass away when they're 50? Well, it's obvious. That's right. Because that's right. Because these populations that genetically never had access to those foods, or in other words, they're look at the Pean Indians from New Mexico, Mexico border here. They lived on cactus root and berries and pine nuts for all those years, and they were very thin and have long lives, but when they got the rich American and the rich European food, they didn't have much beta cell reserve in their pancreas. They, they, they all became overweight and diabetic very rapidly. That's not a defect. 
That means that for, for some, the modern diet is more, is more toxic because they have, their body was designed or genetically for a diet that's much more spare, sparse. So in other words, it's a little bit complicated, but the point is, is those people, the indigenous populations can still live a very long, very healthy life if we put them back on the right diet for them. You know what I mean? So it's this modern diet is destructive to all, it's, it's so destructive and so dangerous. It's destroying our modern world. It's destroying the environment. It's destroying people's ability to be logical and sensible. It's, cre it's making them imbalanced thinking. And now we have people with, and it, and it, even, cre and it even leads to more bigotry and more, and more um, what's the more conflict between populations. So, well, there's... <laughs> That's just a bit. That's such a massive, topic, a massive, massive topic. And we are in in Australia, and I, you know, obviously we we look to your country for our everything, according to our governments. But definitely, we have we do have divisiveness and bigotry in our country. Very, very, it's very, very much alive and well. And it's interesting to think because I know myself that when I changed my diet, I felt like a veil of fog lift off my now, I'm not saying that I'm now got a, an IQ of Einstein because I don't but I mean I felt this veil of mental fog this brain fog that I had been living with my whole life just lift away and I know that most people don't realize that they're living in that brain fog all the time that's right it infects their intellectual their careers their kindness they can't be the best father the best brother the best citizen the best caring about other people when they're eating poorly you know you maybe don't know this, but I have a retreat in San Diego area where people who are food addicts, who have, who have problems, medical problems, they come and stay with me for two to three months. I've had people from Australia fly in and stay there with medical conditions. Everyone, get your tickets on his website, drfurman.com. <laughs> and, the, and the reason I'm telling you this too right now is because what you just brought up about the fog lifting. Because I see people coming in there and they hate the food and they're annoyed and they're irritated and they're been they've been they're addicted to whiskey they're addicted to junk food they're they never they couldn't say oh, i'm on a diet but once they're there a while in a safe environment in a safe and beautiful environment they're eating the great tasting food they're dropping weight at about 15 20 pounds the first month you wouldn't believe what happens to them they all say the fog lifts but their personalities change completely as they lose their food addictions, and it, it takes time of abstinence to get yourself to feel better. You gotta get off, like, they put people with cocaine addiction away for, you know, for two to three months to get better. You can't just do it for a week or two on these health retreats. They go back and eating there, they're not, they're not, you have to abstain for a long enough period of time for the dopamine to become sensitive again in the brain, for the taste to rechange itself, for you not to be clamoring for and craving for the foods you're missing. You need time and to learn the healthy recipes, to get the psychological counseling, to get the physical and, and emotional therapy, you know, and then people become a different individual. They be able to solve the difficulties in their lives. They're no longer let their their primitive brain is not driving their behavior, seeking out stimulation. They become a better person, and they be, start to become appreciative and have gratitude. For what's for a passion fruit or a, or a kiwi? Even they start to appreciate. You know, they they become a different individual, the different personalities. It's so fascinating. Watch these people change and become so grateful and so more full human beings. I'm saying that you're not the same person when you're in bad health compared to when you're in good health. 
And my retreat has enabled me to see this firsthand that when I keep people long enough and change their life and change, reverse their diabetes and reverse their heart disease and they drop 50 or 60 pounds and they get rid of their arthritis, they're, they're just a different personality. Yes. Everyone, get your tickets. We're heading over. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see you next month, Joel. <laughs> Come over. Great. My chefs are phenomenal. It's a great place to visit. If you're ever coming to the States, you got to come and visit Absolutely me there. Absolutely will. Absolutely will. Well, when you're talking about people's transform people's transformations, I think that many people, when they have food, ad- food addiction like myself and many of the guests that have come on our show, people who haven't yet acknowledged the, the role that food plays in their lives, it can be so difficult. And I think that I love what I love about your retreat is that you're putting people, you know, in a space where they've got like-minded people who are wanting to do the same thing around them. Because as you say, when you have one week retreat, people go home and they're surrounded by all their friends and family who are eating the foods that got them sick in the first place. That's exactly, you know, you know a lot of people, some people with high self-esteem and high intellectual strength can do this on their own. And I've helped, you know, th- hundreds of thousands of those people change their life. But some people, not blaming them, whatever the, they just can't do this on their own. They need extra help. And it, enable them to remove the obstacles to change is so rewarding to see these people get better. They're, they're kind and loving and important people too. And just because they couldn't do it without some help, it doesn't mean they're, they, they're not deserving of getting well. And it enables me to say, you know, I don't care who you are. If you want to get better, there's no reason that we can't better. There's no obstacle we can't overcome. And so so having my retreat gives me an extra tool in my toolbox to the people I couldn't help. I would hate when people would call me up from the hospital emergency room or the ICU and they'd say, Dr. Furman, I knew I should have listened to you, but I couldn't do it. And now I'm in the emergency room and now I'm in the hospital with a heart attack or something. I'm going, oh, you know, God, I I had you here a month ago. I told you we're going to have a heart attack. I told you what to do. Well, you know, I'm I'm like frustrated. You know what I mean? Why didn't they listen to me? You know what I mean? you know, because we, you know, we even have the ability today to predict a heart attack. You know, there's blood tests, myeloperoxidase, oxidized LDL, HSCRP. We can tell when a person's about to have a heart attack. You know what I mean? We can warn them, but they don't take the warning. They just keep eating the junk and they have the heart attack. It's so damn frustrating. You know, so, so at least now I can say to these people, you got to come into my retreat. You're going to have a heart attack. You got to get in here right now before this happens to you. At least I, at least I have a tool where I can say to a person, it doesn't matter if you can do this or not. You're getting in here and we're doing it and you're going to get well. And I'm going to show you, you're going to like it. You're going to love it once you do it for a while. Your taste is going to change. It's going to become the way you prefer to eat. I just had a woman who stayed, who this is over a year ago. She stayed for six weeks and lost about 50 pounds when she was there. And then when she went home, she lost 150 pounds over the next 12 months. So she lost 200 pounds over that year. And But she had tried every way in the sun to lose weight before that which couldn't work because you can't do it with a gimmick or a trick. You really need to um, pr- protect the person and assure that they don't have, not that they have abstinence from their addictive triggers. Like if you had a daughter, if you and I had a daughter who had like a cocaine or a heroin addiction, right? I would tie her to my wrist. I wouldn't let her out of my sight. She wouldn't get cocaine or heroin for months. You know what I mean? We, you'd protect that person from themselves 
Well, you got to put, it's the same thing here. You've got to keep people away from their addictive triggers because some people, the, the fast food industry has designed these Franken foods that are so powerfully addicting that people can't make the right decisions for their lives anymore, you know? Absolutely. And I think that the thing is, is that it's the marketing is so incredibly powerful that people don't realize that they're being tricked. It's not like, you know, with heroin, with heroin, everyone's like, okay, I won't try, yeah. I won't do that. It's illegal, and I won't try. But with uh, the new Cadbury chocolate, we have Cadbury here. I don't know if you have Cadbury over there, but with the new chocolate bars, you know, it's on the buses. Everyone's saying, every the buses, the billboards, everywhere saying, give this a try. And you're like, how bad can it be? The bus is telling me to eat it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So you can see why people get tricked. Just be like everybody else and have a heart attack and a stroke and get cancer. You know, just be like everybody else and you get, you know, it's like what the medical care and the nutritional environment is barbaric. It's really um, destroying our modern world and causing immense amount of human tragedy and human suffering. And people don't see it, you know, going on. Of course, um, you know, of course, at the same time, we're destroying our the environment and as well, you know, so in killing off the bees, so it's like it's a you know, it's all this is comes together, you know what I mean? So we're we have to take care of ourselves and take care of our planet and take care of future generations that are coming forward. We have to you know, we so it's only through, you know, we've got the, the what the masses is doing is not sustainable for, for their individual health or for our planetary health. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now I had a question and it's just gone because I was listening to what you were saying. Food. Oh, change. So what, oh, that's what I was going to ask you. So when people are coming to you and you're talking about nutritarian diet, now we haven't used the word nutritarian on this show very much or I'm guessing we have, but not very often. And so could you just give people a bit more of an idea because we talk about whole food, plant-based diet, but what would someone wanting to adopt a nutritarian version of a whole food, plant-based diet what would a typical day of eating look like? Well, they pay more attention to eating more green vegetables for sure. And I have an acronym called G-BOMBS, which stands for, you know, G-BOMBS, B-O-M-B-S, greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. In other words, if you're on a diet, are you really trying to eat some mushrooms every day? Are you really being aware of that? Do you know how protective mushrooms are against cancer? Do you know that it can reduce, do you know, do you know that there's a compound in mushrooms called ergothionine that is, that is a cellular receptor for that, that protects the cell against cancer that you're not doing? Are you, do you know the effect of, you know, eating some flax seeds or chia seeds on reducing risk of, do you know that a soybean, the, the genistein in soybeans increases longevity proteins like certain one and, and, and CAMP kinase that makes you live longer and stabilizes your telomeres and your stem cells? Do you know that? So we're, we're talking here about the protective effect of green cruciferous vegetables on activating the NRF2 transcription proteins, all these things we've discovered that extends human's lifespan, trying to make a person have a big salad at least once a day, where you're putting in some raw onion and some cruciferous raw in there, and using a dressing to facilitate the absorption of these compounds that is made from, has some nuts and seeds in it, because you need the fat to maximally absorb the beneficial nutrients in some of these fat-soluble compounds, and then do you make a big spot of vegetable bean soup on the weekend with mushrooms and onions in it that has these beans in it, including lentils, and soy and black and red beans, and black and red beans also are rich in IP5, inositol pentacus phosphate, and ergothionine we're talking about here. So we're talking about 
this broad spectrum of protective phytochemicals that have been shown to fight off cancer and protect and increase longevity. And these advances in nutritional science are giving us an unprecedented opportunity in human history to live longer and healthier than ever before, to blow out the blue zones, Sardinia, you know, so we're talking about Okinawa. These areas don't live that much longer. Their risk, their chance of living to be 100 years old is one is six out of 10,000. Sure, it's only one out of 10,000 in America. And the average lifespan here is like 75 to 80. And over in the blue zones, it's 85 to 89 or something. But it's not that great. Most of the nutritarian elderly people I'm dealing with are living to be 95 to 105 years old. They're living much longer with their full mental faculties intact. We can do much better than the blue zone. And why would the blue zones are good because they happen to be eating better than the other areas, but they're not scientifically designing a diet to maximize human longevity. It's not just okay to be just low fat, whole food, plant based. That's not defining the dietary excellence that's maximally extending human life. So we want to give more specifics, more advice as to how to design, structure the diet, include berries, include low sugar fruits, kiwis, kumquats, you know, berries, include beans in your diet and include green vegetables, both raw and cooked. When you're putting onions and greens in your soup, blend them raw first and then add them to the soup. Don't put them in the soup first because you'll deactivate the enzymes. But if you blend them when you're raw and then cook them, the blending them when they're raw made them form the protective anti-cancer compounds like the ITCs. And now when we cook them, those ITCs will be stable. We can eat the cooked soup. So we're showing people how to cook the foods to maintain the nutrients that nature put into the food to begin with. These nutrients, eating a diet with a high micronutrient bang per caloric buck, suppresses the appetite, makes us desire less the right amount of calories, stabilizes our brain function against dementia in later life, and protects us against cardiac arrhythmias, that, this, I, that the other diets do not, that other plant diets are not that protective and they still could have weaknesses that are then drawbacks that could sh- appear in later life as people's immune system and absorption to capacity goes down. So we're trying to really maximize the health of a person and tweak it for a person's individual genetic differences so we can give them more specific advice that's really going to make sure they're going to live a very long and very healthfully. And then also, it becomes more therapeutically effective when you do, when you go to excellence to that degree. All right, go ahead. I was going to ask you because it was a question asked by a, I don't know if you are aware of Shamiz and Shakul Kachwala. They have a YouTube channel called High Carb Health and they coach people with ulcerative colitis and other bowel, Crohn's disease and those things to heal with a, with a, with a, with a nutritarian diet, really. But what I wanted to ask is one of their readers wrote a question saying basically that a plant-based diet, like a vegan diet, even though nutritarian diets are good, you're better off, The most, most people are better off eating your standard diet because you need to have a higher level of education as a parent to make sure, ensure your kids are healthy on a nutrient, like nutritarian diet or a whole food plant-based diet. What are your thoughts on that? Because it made me think, is that true? Is it an elitist diet? Like, is it possible for everyone, regardless of education level, to maintain their health on this way of eating? Or is it something that is exclusive in, in a way? If you're eating junk food, vegan food, your diet's not going to be adequate. It's if you're eating whole natural foods, but when you're on a vegan diet for a child, 
the supplementation with B12 and making sure they have fatty acids for the brain, DHA, and all those things have become very important. So yeah, you have to learn how to do it right. Um, because most of the generations of humans on this planet, they add some animal products to get the extra B12 and the extra zinc and the extra proteins. So when you're eating a diet, it's not healthy enough for a child to be on a macrobiotic diet or an all rice or all potato diet. In other words, at the ends of life, for the younger, for the toddlers and the little, for the, and, the, and for the elderly, their lack of their fragility and digestive capacities are such that some of these extreme vegan diets become more dangerous for them. And some of these extremely low fat vegan diets where they cut all the nuts and oils out, you know, I don't, uh, my diet style is not extremely low fat, like some of the nutritional gurus you might be familiar with. And I'm suggesting that those diets that are so um, low fat can be unsafe for, for children, toddlers, and for the elderly too, as you know, so, so we're talking here about, yes, there has to be more knowledge when you're going to a vegan diet. It's not about intelligence. It's about being educated and getting informed properly. And because the dietary landscape has so many different people with wild and extreme ideas, people don't know who to believe. And it's not about intelligence. It's about the fact that there's a million people with different messages and giving different versions of a diet. And some aren't that good, aren't that, aren't based on such great science and aren't that, that aren't that good for people. So they're adopting some guru's idea that doesn't work for their kid. And I'm saying that as a family doctor taking care of kids, we watch the children and we make sure they have nutritional adequacy no matter what diet they're on. Making sure their growth is adequate, making sure the nutrient intake is fine. We, we don't want to mess up a kid based on some philosophical viewpoint that your diet is right for people. And then you messed up the kid for the rest of their life. You know what I mean? Which people have done. Um, so I, I don't know. The, so a nutritarian diet compared to other types of vegan or plant-based diet is much more carefully designed to be protein and fat adequate and to give people the conservative use of supplements to make sure they're not going to become deficient in DHA, zinc, or EPA in the extremes of life. So it's much more conservative in not taking the chances of people's health based on some rigid philosophical idea that your diet is best and every person could thrive on the same diet that's the vegan or low fat. I want so so I'm critical of some of these people that you've probably interviewed as being too radical and not uh, not being careful enough in adjusting their recommendations for the individual plus the diets they're recommending are neither are they more um, idealized enough for people to maximize lifespan. Okay. But what, what, what would you think about so olive oils? You mentioned oils there. Would oils be something that you would still say because of the potential to damage endothelial cells, which was what Dr. Esselstyn talks about a lot, and Dr. Clapper, would you recommend people have at least reduce oils to almost nothing? Nothing. Well, let me ask you a question. Which is healthier for you to make you live longer and be healthier? Walnut oil or a walnut? Sesame seed or a sesame seed? Sunflower oil or sunflower? Which do you think is healthier? Is a processed food healthier than a whole food? There's completely different biological effects. So, but these whole foods that have fat in them are essential for people's health and the growth of children, especially as they go on a vegan diet. Um, breast milk is very high in fat. We don't go from a diet super high in fat from an infant, take them off breast milk and then put them on a really low fat diet with no fat in it. Nature designed us to be eating fat and putting on a low, uh, some of these low fat diets and taking all the oil and all the nuts and seeds out. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing that oil is a processed food that leads to people to get too fat. 
it's fattening and fattening food is not good for us. But nuts and seeds have a different effect on the body. We're not gonna have time to go into all the benefit, the biological differences. But, but obviously I'm not recommending an extremely low fat diet. I'm recommending people eat their source of fat from whole foods and not from processed foods and oils, which have no fiber and no nutrients and just that they're extracted all the good stuff that prevents cancer out of the nut and seed. Absolutely. Okay, so we are about to end our conversation. So I just wanted to ask you, Firstly, where can people find you and follow you on online and uh, your, your website, your social media? Where, where can they find you? DrFerman.com. D-R-F-U-H-R-M-A-N.com. That's the best place to find me. They can get the links to my blog and my Facebook and the other things right there. And, you know, I, I give people advice through the website so people all over the world can join and ask me questions. And ask the doctor for them. I can help direct them to the right direction to give them help and guidance too. Awesome. Thank you so much. What would be your three biggest tips to anyone listening who is wanting to make the transition to a nutritarian plant-based diet? That lunch is the most important meal of the day. And they should eat a lunch where they have a giant salad with a nut and seed, with a dressing where the fat comes from nuts and seeds, not oil blended up. And they should make a big pot of vegetable bean soup with onions and mushrooms in it on the weekend. And their lunch should be a big salad a bowl of vegetable bean soup or a chili or a stew and a piece of fruit for dessert. And that's, and if they, if they, everybody changed their lunch to a real healthy lunch with salad and vegetables and beans, they we would change the healthcare across the world. I love that. Thank you so much, Joel, for coming on the show. It was so wonderful talking to you. I really, really found it f- actually so fascinating. And now I have two books to buy today because I'm very excited to read both of those. That was Fast Food Genocide and The End of Dieting. You got it. That was it. I'm very excited to read both of those. And get yourself over to drfurman.com and check out his retreats if you are in Australia or America or anywhere and head over to the States, San Diego. Is that right? Yes, it's in San Diego where the weather's really nice. Oh, beautiful. And I'm looking at the images on my website on my in the side of the interview right now, and it looks incredible. So, yeah, head over there if you want to have your life changed forever. Why not? Who doesn't? For the better. Thank you so much, Dr. Furman, for coming on the show. Good luck. It's good luck and best of health to, all, of course, all your listeners. Thank you, Dr. Joel Furman, for coming on the show. Don't forget to head over to Dr. Furman. D-R-F-U-H-R-M-A-N.com to find out more about Dr. Furman and have a look at all his books online. The links to those will be in the show notes as well. So check that out. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for just supporting me and joining me and motivating me, inspiring me for all these 100 episodes. Uh, Each of you mean the world to me. I am so glad to do this and to share these messages with you all and to get these stories out there. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. If you're not yet a member of my Patreon group, the links are in the show notes. As I mentioned at the start of this episode, you can join for $5. It really, 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 really helps me to keep doing this and keep getting these stories out. So if you haven't yet joined and you have $5 to spare a month, I would so greatly appreciate that. And don't forget that you can hang out with me on Sunday the 28th of July 2019 (laughs) at 12pm at Grant's Picnic Ground. Bring a plate of delicious 
low-fat, whole-food, plant-based deliciousness to share with us all. That would be greatly appreciated. Rug up, rug up. It's always freezing up here. So bring some warm clothes, bring a picnic blanket, bring your gloves, your hat, your raincoat, the whole thing. We don't know what the weather's going to be like, but prepare to be cold. So rug up. And also, if you haven't joined my 28 Days Vegan Challenge and you'd like to, the link is in the show notes. I would love to have you on board. It's going to be fun. I can't wait. Yeah. Thank you. And I'll see you next week with some new music and a new logo. Bye. (laughs) 